car caught with your towel. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Good Lord. There is no school. He's on the joy. Get away from her, you bitch! Well, let me finish the movie. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Sunday Podcast version 2.0. I'm your host, David S. Dawson, and joining me remotely today is Michael Peterson. Hey, Mike. What's up, buddy? Uh, Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Um, It's been a little while since we've had a new episode out. I thought we should probably get back on the ball and get one out, especially since the big summer tentpole film has been released, and we have both seen it, Spider-Man Far From Home. Yep. Um, just right off the bat, give me your overall impressions of the film. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, especially off the heels of Endgame, that is such an emotional roller coaster. Um, it's essentially the same thing that they did uh, last year with Ant Man Two, where it's kind of the comedic relief after the point, but it, it's a lot of really hilarious, good moments, but at the same time, um, very touching, moving because you, we are at the fallout of Endgame. Um, yeah, the MCU does a pretty good job, I think, of going, uh, here's Avengers, it's big, it's bold, it's, it's in the case of uh, Infinity War and Endgame, it's also very emotional. Um, in sometimes very sad ways, and then they follow it with a more lighthearted, kind of grounded film, grounded in terms of, like, it's not cosmic and huge. Yeah. But um, Ant-Man, I think, was, like you said, it was very funny, but it, it only loosely tied back into the bigger films that were happening around it, whereas Spider-Man very much feels like the epilogue to the Infinity Saga all the way around. Tony Stark, and th- and for those of you who haven't seen this movie, spoiler, 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 spoiler. We're not going to hold back on them in this podcast, so get the hell out right now if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Go see the movie, then come back and listen to this episode. Absolutely. But Tony Stark is a shadow that just looms large over this entire story. Um, it, it drives the narrative. It drives the emotional arc that Peter Parker is on. Uh, that Happy is on, and um, it, it just can't be denied that this is, in fact, directly tied to the the end results of Endgame. And way more than any of us anticipated. Obviously, we are ready for the emotional fallout, especially for, for Peter. Um, but how the main plot the main weapon in this is all still tied in. Um, it's, it's crazy how much they actually brought Tony in without actually having Tony in this. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm going to, I know we got a list of like topics. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit. So yeah. uh, in the film, uh, Tony leaves a gift for Peter um, in Edith, which are the, the sunglasses he was wearing for the last several films. Um, which were cool in the in the other movies, 
But you get to see here that it's in fact like the the tool for controlling this global uh, defense network of satellites and and spy stuff, right? It's yep. Like shield on steroids, operated by one person with sunglasses. Yeah, and he gives it gives it to Peter. Yep. Um, which is cool all by itself, and the name is a <laughs> even dead. I'm the hero. Um, <laughs> oh, you and I cracked up in that. <laughs> killed me. Oh, my God. That was so funny. But so on point with Tony Stark as a character. Like, that's exactly what he would call that thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, he's leaving his legacy behind, not just in Edith, but in Peter. Right? Peter is the person he's chosen to be his representative post-Endgame. Um, what did you think of that move? Um, just, just great. I mean, like, um, it, it's, it's tough. Cause like he, he, you know, Peter's obviously still a kid. Um, and you see him dealing with that, that. This is, you know, Peter trying to be a kid throughout the entire film, but Tony bestows upon him all this power that is Edith. Um, so it's it, it's a big thing that he realizes once you know once he screws up um, that he needs to step up. Yeah, uh, that's the thing that I really like about these two Spider-Man films is they very much are about a child entering into the grown-up world, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think the Edith thing is kind of like dad handing over the keys to the, the brand new car, you know? Right. And like, you're super excited to get it, but it's also terrifying that you've been given that, that responsibility. And I think that's what Peter's grappling with throughout this entire film is this sudden desire of the world at large, not just talking about Aunt May or Happy or even Nick Fury, but the world at large looking to Spider-Man to step up and fill in the void that Tony's left behind with the loss of Iron Man. Well, it, it goes back to the entire, you know, the trailer even. You know, it's like, dude, I'm just your, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Fury. Bitch, you've been to space. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, you, you're, you are no longer just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, but for Peter, um, so the end of Homecoming, he makes the decision to stay a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right. And Tony greatly respects that decision, as does Happy. I think that's when Happy kind of comes around on the kid, right? Um, but it's not like a lot of time for Peter has passed since that moment, right? Because it was shortly after that that he disappeared in the blip. Right. And yes, he fought Thanos on uh, on. Uh, Titan, but you know that was just a, a moment of his experience. It wasn't like he's been doing big, amazing things consistently for years. At this point, he he was a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He suddenly found himself in space. Then he turned to dust. Then he fought in one huge battle, and now eight months later, he's grappling with the fact that whether he was ready for it or not, the world expects him to step up. Right. Exactly. And sometimes the world has a habit of turning our lives around, whether we're ready for it or not. And I think that's the kind of brilliant piece of storytelling that they were pulling off in these two films. 
well, four films if you put Infinity War and Endgame into that mix. Right. So, um, of course, every great superhero needs a good villain. Um, I was really surprised in the trailer when they showed that Mysterio was going to be his his next villain uh, because Mysterio seems so kind of mystical and magical and Spider-Man's kind of rooted in, in kind of a, a weird grounded reality within the MCU still. Um, but I loved what they did with Mysterio in this. How, how did you feel? I, I absolutely loved it. He's actually one of my favorite villains in the Spider-Man universe. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up on, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of comics, but I did cartoons, right? So mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up on the nineties Spider-Man cartoon, the best thing ever as far as cartoons go for me. Um, and they did justice to him there, but way more in this. And I mean, if you knew anything about Mysterio's background, it, they changed it up in this, in, in, in the, um, in various different versions of the comic, he's been an actor, which you see him partially doing that in this, where he kind of takes the director role and like, oh, no, no, I'm going to do it this way, this way. Um, but then he's also from different universes and different versions of the comic, which we still don't know if that's still a thing. Um, the multiverse. Yeah, because in one version of the comic, um, the Mysterio of Earth uh, 616 is actually a robot controlled by a Quentin Beck from an alternate dimension. Yeah. Yeah. He can make clone, basically <laughs> clone. He can clone himself basically. Yeah. So anything's possible with Mysterio. Um, and, and I wonder if the chapter on him's not fully closed yet. Right. Um, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal did a, a wonderful job playing the part. He was great. Especially, um, especially since the, the head fake was that he was the new mentor, right? Right. Um, and I really bought that relationship as it was growing. Um, I was like, wow, this is kind of a cool take on Mysterio. He's the good guy. Like, and he really did seem like he genuinely cared about Peter uh, through so much of the movie. He, and it wasn't until that uh, you know they lost a part of the drone and that uh, MJ and Spidey find it. Um, Peter, you know, and they, they see um, that he has to go back and actually kill him. It, he says, you know, he's like, he's furious with William, the, the guy care, controlling the the drone. So it's like, dang it, now I actually have to kill this kid. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I get the feeling like he actually liked Peter. Yes. Um, the, the one bit where he tells Peter never to apologize for being the smartest, smartest. person in the room. Yeah. Um, awesome. Was like, he saw some part of himself in Peter. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe even to some degree, as much as he complained about Tony leaving behind this multi-billion dollar weapon system in the hand of a 16 year old, I think, uh, he kind of viewed Peter as potentially, uh, simpatico with him, you know, this brilliant mind who was kind of overshadowed by Tony Stark and, uh, you know, maybe Peter might understand once he saw how things completely turned out or something, you know, it was, right. it was this really interesting dynamic between the two characters that, uh, I really enjoyed seeing on screen. Yep. Absolutely. Um, 
the um, I, the, I really when he finally starts fighting Peter, dude, the trippy fight sequence that they go through. That's just that first one where he is just whipping Peter left and right with all these different effects is so freaking cool and trippy. Yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing because that was one of the fun things in the comics is like you know the artists could kind of go to town when Mysterio was like playing tricks and doing whatever. And uh, you really felt like, oh, hey, the pages of the comic book just kind of came alive here. Right. And uh, and the ability to flow from frame to frame made it all the more interesting. It was, it was really cool. Really very cool. Um, and I loved what they did uh, with the costume because it's so, like, it felt completely appropriate within this MCU uh, style, but it also felt totally comic book appropriate. Um, it was amazing that they were able to balance that out and, and make the fishbowl helmet work, uh, actually work and, and seem cool. Yep. <laughs> um, which was like one of my biggest fears is like, there's no way they're going to do the fishbowl helmet. <laughs> Even in the comics, that looks kind of dumb, but in the movie, it looked amazing. Yep. Um, with the milky cloud kind of flowing around inside of it. It's like, like, okay, now I know why he's called Mysterio. That's badass. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not just a white... It's it's actually filled with stuff, right? Like, it's actually cool. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. I I loved that production design. Um, Oh, and I loved the design of all Spidey's different outfits. Yes. Um, From the stealth suit that uh, Fury gives him uh, to the... uh, to the black Spidey suit that he builds for himself. Um, I, I just, I, I liked all of it. I thought it was really well done. Uh, my uh, one, my one beef though is the iron Spidey suit looked a little off. It, it definitely had way more of a CG look than previously seen. And it might be because really this is the closest up we've actually ever seen it. You see a lot more of the detail, close up than you did in Avengers. I feel like, well, I actually wonder if, if it was more C like in the neck, you could tell the CG seam between the neck and the body, mm-hmm. but it felt like a lot of times it was a practical suit because the shoulders were too bulky. Well, maybe it just, you know, there were some shots where it just felt like, Oh, those shoulders look out of whack. Like they're sitting on top of his shoulders instead of flowing around them. Um, I don't know, just a little thing, but, uh, mm-hmm. but other than that, you know, I, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and staying with Mysterio and Gyllenhaal, um, one of the hardest things that an actor ever has to do is like a large exposition dump, um, <laughs> to just kind of like, you know what, we don't have time to go all willy nilly showing you everything. So we're going to tell you what happened. And Gyllenhaal goes on like a four minute rant about the history of him uh, with Tony and um, William Ginter Riva, who's played by B- Peter Billingsley from uh, to- uh, Christmas Story. Um, he goes on this long rant about all these past history things, and they flash and show you kind of new angles of things we've seen before from, uh, what was it, uh, Civil War and from the original Iron Man and kind of placing these characters in context within the existing MCU, which I thought was really cool because they tied everything all the way back to the very beginning here at the very end. Right. Right. Um, And in the end, Tony 
um, by and large, has created all the villains that he fought over the course of uh, the MCU. I like the fact that it's... <laughs> and I he like created the- Spider-Man's la- latest villain. Right, right. I like the fact that it's not just Mysterio. The fact that it's a bunch of disgruntled workers uh, for Stark all bu- combining together to make this character, Mysterio. Yeah, which really grounds it in the MCU kind of pseudoscience, pseudo-reality feel of things, right? Right. Um, yeah, it was just very cool. It was very cool the way they figured out how to tie all those things together, bring all the elements together. Um, and and Gyllenhaal had the, the unfortunate uh, role of having to do this exposition dump, but I thought it was very entertaining. I thought the way they kind of crafted it as kind of like a victory speech to his troops um, was, was really fun. And it was just an interesting way to get it out. The only other time the MCU's really done a massive exposition dump like that is also in the Ant-Man movies. Um, and they also found a very interesting way to handle those with, um, Michael Pena with Michael Pena doing his little, uh, fast recaps on stuff. Yeah. Those are awesome. Um, which by the way, uh, Kevin Feige has gone on record, uh, recently as stating that there is a recording of Michael Pena doing a full recap of the MCU. God, I hope that ever gets released somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll come out on the, uh, on the Spider-Man Blu-ray or something. Right. <laughs> to kind of recap everything. Um, so we're talking about the little bit of differences in Mysterio from, from how he is here, where he's like a team of people that have kind of brought him to life and he's not, maybe or maybe not actually from the multiverse um, like he is uh, oftentimes in the comics. Um, Spider-Man in the MCU is this interesting licensing issue, (laughs) right? Um, Because Sony retains the rights to Spider-Man and Marvel's basically borrowing him back from Sony to keep him in the MCU right now. But anything that's used in the MCU films um, is not supposed to then be able to be used in the Sony Venomverse, if you will, right? Uh, movies. So these changes to characters in the MCU in the Spider-Man contexts are a means of creating alternate versions of these characters so that Sony doesn't completely lose the right to use them in their own movies and Marvel can't run off and use them somewhere else either. Um, so Mysterio's story hints at the original origins, but then plays with it in a completely MCU specific context. Um, and it's also why characters like MJ a is called MJ instead of Mary Jane. Um, and like Aunt May is hot milf. <laughs> instead of granny aunt may um so that's something you know. I, that's something i never quite understood with the with the comics and the even the 90s you know the cartoon where it's just like she's so old. She, well, she, she she's still an aunt it's not it's not grandma may it's <laughs> yeah she's supposed to be like you know same age as to his parents yeah exactly <laughs> so within a within a few years probably not 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 old enough to have raised them <laughs> right exactly yeah i think it's just easier in the comics to draw her that old because right you know 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I like this version of Aunt May. I like how involved she is with Peter's life. And uh, especially like that she's in on it um, yeah. now. Doing the whole um, press, the press conferences and all that stuff. And- yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun to have her in on it. And then that wild interaction between her and Happy Hogan that was developing throughout the movie, I thought was really f- funny, funny. And, and incredibly promising for that kind of increased awkwardness on Peter's part, right? <laughs> I, I love the fact that, you know, during right before the main battle, he's on the he's on the side of the plane and hey, by the way, when we get back, I need to discuss you. <laughs> you need to have a serious talk about my aunt. aunt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um and I love Happy Hogan. I love that that John Favreau, who really kicked off the whole MCU with Iron Man, uh, not just playing happy, but you know, directing it and producing yep. it. Um, I love that he was such uh, a fun and really important part of Peter's journey here to close out what they're calling the Infinity Saga uh, book, right? Um, And essentially kicking off phase four of whatever the next book uh, in the MCU is going to be. It was nice to have him be a part of it. And uh, I thought the relationship that's been developing between him and Peter was really cool, too. I, I really loved when he picks up Peter um, in the plane and gives him his pep talk and to make his new suit. Right. Mm-hmm. And you just see him just Peter go to this machine and it's just complete second nature to him. He just starts building the suit and happy just smiles. And he like and slides just, his hand into the digital glove, pulls yep. it back. And, and it's so reminiscent of things Tony did. Yep. And, 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 and that's so it. second nature to just interact with it. And yeah, that, that look of like love and pride and, and sadness. I mean, John Favreau really brought the goods um, playing that part in that whole scene on the airplane. Absolutely. Um, just, just beautiful, beautiful the way he played all that. Um, and I, I'm so happy he's, he's still involved. Yep. I, I love when he's, when he's rescuing the other kids and uh, you know they're they're in the um, in London in the, uh, the whatever the I forget where the where the crown jewels are or the crown, um, but he throw he throws a shield. He's like that's harder than it looks. Yeah. <laughs> How does Cap do that? Do that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, little things like that. I love that in the MCU's the little throwbacks to things like that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about MJ. Sure. Um, a couple of people were kind of protesting, saying, oh, it seems awful fast for Peter to be interested in MJ. I, I think they forget that eight months has passed, <laughs> and these kids have basically done another year of school since we last saw them in Homecoming. But, um, I mean, you kind of see... He's not pining for uh, the Vulture's daughter anymore, you know? It's like, in high school, we move on quickly. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and eight months, I don't think, is out of the realm of possibility for Peter to start having a, a crush on someone else. Well, you, you kind of see it's not, it's not fully like, cause like you said, like uh, he's obviously interested in another girl in homecoming. Um, but but there, there's, there's enough interested in him. Right. And there's, there's enough that they, they have glances back and forth and coming and stuff like that, that it just sets the groundwork. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really liked it. I liked how it developed. Um, I liked that they let her figure it out on her own. Um, and then that kind of interplay where he he denies it, and then, then he's kind of forced to admit it. And then she's like, wait, are you fucking with me? Because yeah. <laughs> I was only like 60% sure. <laughs> Um, I thought that was fantastic. And, and it's little character moments like that that I really like in these MCU stories. The, the little interactions that feel real. You know, they feel like real people. They feel like people who have doubts, who have uh, insecurities about themselves and about the things that they believe. Um, that, that, that to me is kind of the joy of the writing of these MCU movies. Oh, yeah. And especially, I mean, we're finally getting, again, the same thing with Homecoming, where we're finally getting Spider-Man and his, and all his friends actually in high school, actual kids. So the interaction is completely um, what you what you think of when you're in, in romance or whatever in um, in that in that age. You know, like when they finally kiss or like touch hands, like it's so awkward, but that was the way it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and Ned and Betty is freaking hilarious. Summer romance. Yes, completely. Just a summer romance. When they go back to school, they're done. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like uh so funny. And 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 those kind of unexpected hookups when you're in high school um are, are kind of the fun thing too. Like the idea that Ned and Betty would get together is like it's not at all what I would have expected. But in the context of the movie, when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. (laughs) You throw a bunch of kids together for long enough, eventually some of them just start hooking up. And it doesn't always make sense. (laughs) Yep. Um, So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I I enjoy this cast all the way around. Um, And I know they're not exactly like their comic book counterparts. uh, But I, I think the spirit of the comics is completely there. Um, and I think the spirit of him being a high school student, more so than in any of the other two iterations of Spider-Man on film, this really feels like high schoolers doing high schooler stuff uh, within the context of large things happening around them. Absolutely. And I, I really dig that. Uh, right down to little things, too. Like, I don't know if you caught it. Did you catch that Flash was, like, having problems with his parents, like, the whole time? Yep, like the mom does. His mom isn't there to pick him up. His mom's not the there very... to pick him up. But when but when Spidey puts on the glasses at the beginning and and he's like reading everybody's text messages, um, he, I might he, I might have to go back and like pause that scene because yeah. there's so much on that alone. Flash was like unable to reach his mom, like he couldn't um, get her to respond. Um, and that's what his text messages were about. Uh, so it's just. There's this underlying storyline going on with Flash Thompson that I'm uh, I'm really curious to see how they I, how they play that out. I I, I was with you there because I'm I think it probably in the next one it'll probably be more because Flash is is a big character in Spider-Man universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of replaced it a little bit with Brad in this one, where yeah. it's where it's kind of this douchey older character you know same age but older in quotes but character but technically he's five years younger than them yeah exactly <laughs> well, that, that was a wonderful way to deal with the snap or, or sorry the blip um, yeah. to have one of their uh the kids that they knew like suddenly is is grown up and is same age as them or maybe even a year older than them now um you know uh that was a lot of fun um yep but yeah I mean, 
all the way around, I really enjoyed this, this Spider-Man. Um, I, I need to go see it again before I, I make a determination on where it sits within my Spidey uh, film uh, list. But I would, I would have to say that right now, uh, my, in my top four for sure, are these two Tom Holland Spider-Mans and Into the Spider-Verse from the last December. Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, I'm with and, you. And then behind that would be the Doc Ock of the original run. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because Alfred Molina was uh, amazing as Doc Ock in that movie. Um, so this film, like so many MCU films before it, had two credit sequences, a mid-credit sequence and a post-credit sequence. The mid-credit sequence I thought was a lot of fun. We finally got to see Spider-Man like swinging through New York. Like, Absolutely. I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but we hadn't seen that yet. <laughs> he'd swung through Brooklyn. He'd swung through the Bronx, but we hadn't seen him swinging through that iconic downtown, that iconic downtown New York yet. We finally get to see it for a brief bit here at the end. It's a joyous moment. He takes MJ on a swing who he was freaking out. He freaking experience, which I thought was f- fucking wonderful. Um, and I loved her hair when they finally landed. It was just like <laughs> just all over, wind blown everywhere. It was so funny. But that dailybugle.net turn of events, what a brilliant idea to take the Daily Bugle and turn it into InfoWars. <laughs> Dude, I, I, and probably my favorite cameo out of any MCU yet. What a wonderful surprise. J.K. Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson. Like, awesome. I could not have seen that actually happening. I was so, so like, wow. But you know, if they are in fact going to introduce a multiverse at some point, it's smart to introduce a J. Jonah Jameson played by the same actor who played it in previous Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And he just did such a killer job at it that it was so... I can't see anybody else playing that that part. Are you kidding me? No, no, (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) But but even this one is different from the one from the previous Spider-Man's. The costuming is a little different. His hair is a little different. His hair is a little different. But to turn him into this, like, conspiracy theorist website... Uh, you know, modern era fake news journalists. What a stroke of fucking genius for that character. It, it's so funny because as we were ending up the movie, you know, he's swinging through New York. I'm like, oh, I wonder if we're going to, I literally was like, I wonder if we're going to see the Daily Bugle in this. And I wonder where, where they're going to start putting him into actually being a photographer or, you know, like wh- when's that actually going to start coming into play? And then all of a sudden this happened. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> well, even within the context of all that, he does the selfie thing. Yes, absolutely. Which is a total nod to the PS4 game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where you can take the, the peace sign selfies anywhere in New York. Um, so to see him doing the peace sign selfies, I saw a, a Twitter post uh, from the team that makes the game. And they were so like, oh my God, <laughs> they paid homage to our game. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, which is totally awesome for them and totally worthwhile because uh, that, game, <laughs> that game is fantastic. Um, but yeah, they, they show him taking photos of himself, which is the first step towards Spider-Man or Peter Parker taking the photos of Spider-Man that he can sell. 
Yep, absolutely. Um, and then and then they follow it with J. Jonah Jameson and the dailybugle.net. Have you have you tried that website yet? I haven't tried that website yet. I'm no, hang on. We should try it. Dailybugle.net. Um, I don't think it's a real thing. Weblog? <laughs> Someone owns it. Boy, that guy must be super excited. <laughs> Traffic galore. <laughs> I'm surprised that they didn't buy it from him. Oh, because that would have been. Gr- I mean, especially after what they what Marvel did after um, for Captain Marvel with the whole like geospaces and like the whole like old school right? 90s web space. Oh yeah. Maybe it's daily hyphen bugle.net. Let's see. I don't remember. Nope. Interesting. Usually movies, man, when they put a website out like that, they'll, they'll do something with it. Um, oh, hang on. The dailybugle.net. Let's see what that. Nope. Dang. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm surprised they didn't do, do something with that. Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they just didn't put, maybe they just didn't want to put something out until the movies had a chance to play. Actually, if you go to the dailybugle.com, it's literally just one person's photo, but it's copyrighted uh, Marvel. <laughs> the but it's a, it, it'll it'll go to a go to a um, <laughs> loading page, but yeah, it's a it's a cartoon of Goblin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Which I, which I really hope they don't go that route ever anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goblin's been overdone. Well, anyway, uh, fantastic to have J. Jonah Jameson back. Um, and then you get to the very end. Of the credits. Oh, and by the way, J. Jonah Jameson totally outs Peter Parker uh, oh, on oh. behalf of Mysterio as Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, what the... I love that, was this, nuts. I love that this one ended with the same, what the... F- <laughs> from a character like the first one did. Yeah. Uh, cool bookend. Um, but yeah, what's that mean for Peter going forward? What does that mean for the MCU going forward that Spider-Man's been outed? Right. Um, Because they made a big deal of it through the whole movie. I mean, generally in the MCU, uh, secret identities have not been a big deal, right? Nobody's really held on to a secret identity uh, since Iron Man came out in the very first movie. So the first movie in the series is like, hey, I'm Iron Man. You know, there are superheroes in the world and I don't care. This is who I am. It ends with with the one character in the MCU who desperately wanted to keep himself secret being outed by somebody else and, and accused of being a murderer. Uh, interesting way to end the infinity saga, kind of turning that, that on its head a little bit. Right. right. Um, which is, which is fun. I like the way they bookend things in the MCU and the bookends aren't exactly perfect. Like they, they take the stories in new directions, which is pretty cool, which gets us to the final end credit sequence. Um, 
What did you think of that? Did you see that coming? Not at all. Um, yeah, so we find out that Fury has been the scrolls the entire time. Talos and his wife. Yeah, and uh, that he's in some huge, absolutely huge spaceship. Which I can off. only assume is sword, um, which is like the shield equivalent in space. Oh, okay. That's actually in the comics. Uh, eventually, Nick Fury goes into space on a giant spaceship called uh, called Sword, which is another ridiculous acronym. Uh, <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Let me see if I can pull it up for you here. Um, uh, that, that, uh, you know, there's so many swords in the MCU. <laughs> I got to put the periods in it. Um, but yeah, what did you think of the reveal? Like, it's just a, you know, he, so yeah, fury, he fury's on a beach in quotes, and then the entire time like this looks way too fake. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's, all of a sudden, yeah, sure enough, it, the screen goes away. And he's on the ship. Um, so yeah, he's either somehow working with the scrolls, and probably he's on mission somewhere um, with Captain Marvel. So SWORD is the Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, According to uh, Wikipedia, SWORD was originally an offshoot of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Since the departure of Nick Fury as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., relations between the two organizations became strained. The head of SWORD is Special Agent Abigail Brand. Its primary command and control headquarters is aboard the orbital space station known as the Peak. Um, so yeah interesting to see uh, where that goes Um, because part of sword 2 I think is a big part of the secret invasion storyline which is of course you know a huge scroll storyline in the comics and uh, when Captain Marvel came out and they revealed the scrolls to be good guys um, there was kind of a collective, uh, what the hell, from a lot of comics fans who are big fans of the Secret Invasion storyline. We're like, well, what the hell? You just ruined the Secret Invasion storyline. Um, so I wonder if they're going that route and if they figured out a way to make it all work where uh, you can still have good scrolls and bad scrolls, maybe. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like the whole... Um you know, shield Hydra, but with shape-shifting aliens. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big post-credits uh, drop. And I wonder when we'll get the kind of taste of what's next with all that. Because uh, the next film to come out, I'm fairly certain, is going to be the Black Widow film, which is also a prequel movie. Um, takes place in the time before Black Widow actually became a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So I wonder mm-hmm. um, I wonder if we're going to get any sort of hints at the scroll uh, stuff from there, too. I, I don't know. It, uh, we may find out some little tidbit even, uh, you know, this next week. Oh, yes. Comic-Con. Yes, we got Comic-Con coming up in just a couple of days. Um, you've already dropped a little video on our Facebook page. Thank you for yep. that. Oh, of course. Um, I am going to be attending 
um, some special sneak peek of the Amazon uh, Prime Video presentations. So I'm I'm excited to get to do it's, that. It's by uh, when I was walking around, Amazon's by, has by best by far the best outside of Comic Con um, thing that I saw today. Oh, oh, it's huge towers of screens and. Um, it's where it's where the um, the Zach, um, not Zach. Um, oh my God, what's the spy name? Um, John, um, I'm sorry, Jack Ryan. Oh yeah, so yeah. yeah. So it's that same spot that yeah, it well, was. Jack Ryan's on Amazon Prime, so right? That makes sense. That's their space. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, now all over it, you have Carnival Row, um, which is Orlando Bloom's new f- stuff, right? Um, the Boys, the Boys, which looks cool. It's all so it looks like basically like super looks like superhero. And the expanse, and the expanse, which I was like, wait, wasn't that sci-fi? But then it was. But the Amazon Prime picked it up a year ago, year and a half ago, and the new season's uh, going to drop here pretty soon. So sweet, yeah. So that's all in that one area. Yeah, I'm so happy that Amazon picked that show up and kept it going because it's it really is one of the best sci-fi shows I think uh, ever put to television. Cool. If you haven't been watching it, like get caught up and be ready for this new season. Sweet. Um, but yeah, no, totally cool. It's going to be fun at Comic-Con. If you are going to Comic-Con, um, be sure to come visit me on Sunday. I'll be signing autographs at the Star Wars, the Toy Stories uh, table up under the sales from 11 to 2 p.m. Uh, if you're wondering why in the world I would be signing autographs at a Star Wars table, well, that's because I played Yoda. And Star Wars: The Toys Awaken, which uh, won the Lucasfilm uh, Award, Fan Film Awards, back in December for Best Stop Motion and Spirit of Star Wars, and uh, we're going to be doing it again. We've got another one coming out: uh, Star Wars, uh, Toy Stories, uh, Home Solo, which uh, some of the cast has started doing voice recordings on already, which is kind of great. Very cool. And I will be back as Yoda, so that's kind of fun. that's exciting for you man i'm excited that's awesome and uh for the rest of the week we'll be bouncing around and tooling around and recording stuff uh you know so keep an eye on our on our intellectual facebook page and our instagram page and if you're at comic-con maybe you can bounce around and find us and uh you know we'd love to put any of our fans on the on the film there at comic-con it'd be great absolutely so um mikey thanks for making the time to talk about spider-man Oh, of course, man. Uh, I kind of bummed we weren't able to make it happen opening night, but uh, we've kind of been all over the map this year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it's been a it's tough, tough, tough to get us all in the same zip code, let alone into the same theater. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the time we're done with the movie, we're all like, oh, my God, I just want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, um, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. If you haven't seen it and you've listened to this podcast, we'll what the hell were you thinking? And now go see it. <laughs> I'm, inter- I'm interested to see how, I mean, we're, we're kind of already at the tail end of it. It'll still be around for a little bit, but so homecoming made $880 million. As well, of this Spider-Man has already made $600 million in uh, two weekends. Worldwide. We are at 847. So we are oh. 30, 33 million shy. So they've bumped up the figures since I last checked on like Thursday. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think this will cross the billion dollar mark. I think I think it's got that that kind of legs. 
um, which would be three Marvel films this year to do that. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, quite the achievement for a 11-year-old franchise of films with 23 films under their belt. Yeah. They show no signs of slowing down. <laughs> I'm excited to see where, where, what news we get and what comes next. Yeah, me too. Uh, and we're going to try and do the Russo Brothers uh, panel Friday morning, yeah? Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to I wanna see what they have to say. Um, I'm <clears throat> really leaning towards going to the Star Trek uh, Hall H panel on Saturday, see if I can get into that. I don't know if I'll try and stay in line all night, but I'm getting the feeling maybe you won't have to, to do that. I didn't have to last year. Yeah. So, um, but I'll go a little bit earlier this year to get in line so I don't miss the first 10 minutes. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Comic-Con 2019, the 50th anniversary of Comic-Con. I can't believe it. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's older than I am. It's really <laughs> saying something. So until next time, you've been listening to Sci-Fi Sunday version 2.0. I'm your host, David Dawson. And I'm Mike Peterson. And we will see you all again very soon. <laughs>